Great to be with you, and we're continuing our series today about restoration, and we're looking at that period in the history of the people of Israel after they've been carted off into exile, and then after a certain time has passed, they're allowed to go back to Jerusalem, and that's why we've been looking at people like Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding the temple, so getting things going back in the promised land, where they're meant to be, and, um, and we've been looking at Haggai as well and other people who were around at that time prophesying and speaking to the people. But this morning, we're taking a bit of a sideways step because we're looking at the same period of history, but a different location, different culture, and um, different people. Because Esther was one of those people, and there were a lot of them, who, when they had the chance to go back to Israel and to Jerusalem, they didn't take that. They decided to stay um, in the land of exile, but actually, they were free. So it was a different context. You can understand kind of how it went. So imagine they just got a bit settled. It was a long time that they'd been there. Um, And when the chance came to come back, some of them jumped at the chance and some of them said, actually, we can make our homes here. And interestingly, just as an aside, there isn't actually any kind of sense of judgment, particularly on Esther in this story, for staying behind. But we just find her. Here she is in the kingdom of Xerxes. Now, Esther is a book, um, one of only two, named after women. The other one is Ruth. And it's one of only two books in the Bible that doesn't mention God explicitly. So we'll see through the whole story, God is weaving things together. But there's no kind of big prophecy from God, this is what the Lord says. There's no temple because they're in another country. Um, A lot of the kind of usual trappings of where they would be are gone. Xerxes' kingdom, it says in chapter 1, went from India in the east all the way to Cush, which is Egypt in the west. Now that is a big kingdom, isn't it? That's the kingdom they were in. And the beginning of this story, I'm kind of preaching from the whole book, but with this, this chapter is really the center point of the book. At the beginning of the story, Xerxes is having a banquet for his friends, um, maybe some neighbors, some visiting nobles, all sorts of high-flying people, and he calls on his wife Vashti to come, and basically so he can show her off to his friends, saying, this is my wife, so beautiful, and also I call her and she comes, it's great. It gets awkward, though, because she doesn't come. She says, no way, Um, I'm not that kind of woman. Um, You can't just click your fingers and I'm going to come and, you know, dress up and doll myself up and parade myself in front of your friends. I'm not going to do that. Xerxes is understandably a bit um, wounded in his pride by that, But he takes it quite seriously because he gets rid of Ashti. He divorces her and says, actually, if that's the kind of wife you're going to be, don't want you. So then the hunt is on for a new wife. And this is where Esther enters the story. If you've read the story, go and read it again because it's such a good book. And if you've never read it, read it. It's quite quick to read. Um, And Esther basically is selected to go into this harem of people, these women, and be one of them selected to become the next queen of Xerxes' kingdom, to become the wife that he wants. So Esther is brought in 
and the people looking after the women are telling them all these things that they've got to do, the beauty treatments, it's quite a long process, things to eat, all these sorts of things that it's going to be their pretty strict beauty regime to get them ready for the selection. It's a weird thing, but there we go. That's where we come into it. So Esther has been in exile with her people, but now she's still in the land but she's not one of them. She's still um, a Jewish person, a person that's actually one of God's chosen people in that land. And I wonder whether, even just as we start, you can see some parallels between us and with Esther. In the New Testament, it says that we are to live as exiles because our citizenship isn't anymore here on earth. You might consider yourself a citizen of the UK, citizen of the EU, don't know, um, or a citizen of the world. But God says to us, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who knows Jesus, then those things might be one way you describe yourself, but it's really nothing compared to you being a citizen of heaven. And so if we're citizens of heaven, but living on the earth, we've got that similar tension, haven't we, as Esther had, We're not living in a land that is like fully persecuting us and binding us up and bringing us totally into slavery. But there is a sense that we're a minority, and I don't mean necessarily numeric minority, but we're a minority in terms of the overarching power is of an earthly kingdom, but we are citizens of a different kingdom. So I want to start by saying to you this morning... Does that resonate with you, that you're a citizen of a different kingdom? Or is that kind of news to you, that you're not a citizen? Actually, we're called to live as exiles here. As Esther did when she went into that palace, into that selection process, as weird as it must have been, she actually didn't conform to everything that the king wanted her to do. Or, sorry, that the people in charge wanted her to do to be ready for the king. She said, actually, I'm going to do this my own way because I've got my own values and I've got my own identity. She didn't actually tell anyone who she was or what nation she'd come out of, but she lived differently in that place. And I wonder this morning... How about you? Because we are people with a totally different identity and our calling is to live out of that identity and out of that identity comes our different values. We're called to live out of a different value system because of our identity. Esther knew who she was from the very beginning of this story. She knew that she'd come from the people of Israel. She knew the story of where she'd come from and where her people were going back to. She had that sense of, this is kind of my home, but it's also not my home. And we're to live in that way as well. So as Esther lived out her values and said, I'm going to do things in the way that I know is right, she didn't take up all the offers of different beauty treatments and stuff. She said, I'll, I'll do the things that I want to do, but that's it. 
What are our values? If we're called into the world, but actually we know that we're citizens of heaven, what are the values of heaven that are the values that define us, that the values that we live out? Well, we've got some helpful tips in the Bible of what our values should be. So the first list that I'm going to talk about is uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We know that one, don't we? The values, the fruit of a life living for God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those things are what should be defining us. There's another list in Colossians chapter 2. I think it's chapter 3, actually. Yeah. And it talks about other things that we should be putting on. It talks first about the values that we need to take off. And uh, one of my favorite preachers is Brian Houston from Hillsong. I quite often listen to his podcast because he's quite funny and very wise. And he talked in one podcast that I listened to about a lot of Christians go around a bit naked because they remember to take off all the things that they shouldn't be doing. They're not slandering people anymore. They're not doing um, bad things. But they forget to clothe themselves with the new clothes that Christ gives us. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. They're the values that we're to have if we live as Christians. And they're quite countercultural, aren't they? Other gospels that we can pick up from the New Testament humility and honesty, integrity, courage, the values that we live out in the world speak really loudly about who we are, about our identity, who do we consider ourselves to be. I'm speaking on Wednesday at the um, Old Testament Bible series about Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, I've been reading in the last few weeks, talks about rehearsing your values. Because the thing is, it's so easy, isn't it, to know all of that stuff. To know who we are, and, oh yeah, I should be loving, I should be forgiving, I should be patient. But bit by bit, we don't live that stuff out very well, very often. But God knows that that's what we're like. And so he gives this instruction to his people when he's giving them the law, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God knows that we're forgetful people. And what you so quickly slip back into living in the way of the world rather than creating this new culture, living out our values and our identity in the world. So he says the way to do it is to keep talking about it. Talk to your children, write it down. Have like, you know, whenever you wake up, what are you first thing you're going to see? 
see some words of scripture. Remind yourself in whatever way, whether you've got an alert set up on your phone or whether you've got your screen background or whether you've got a poster at home or you talk over Sunday lunch, not only, um, you know, what did I say that was really clumsy, but actually what was God saying and what are the values that you want to be living out? But it's so easy to let ourselves slip into the ways of the world. As many of you know, I did have another job before I um, came and started working for the church, and I used to work for a housing association. And one of the great things that I really loved doing was managing a team, and um, managed a team where there were some junior managers and stuff. And there was a time when a couple of those moved on, and I had some quite significant vacancies in my team. So I did some recruitment, and I managed to recruit internally from a different team. So I let that manager know that they've applied and I've appointed them. I told the, people that, the other people that had applied, sorry, you didn't get it, and thought all was going to be well. And then that other manager that I told, sorry, your people are coming over to my team, counter-offered those people and pulled them back into his team. And unfortunately, both of those people took the bait and went back, and then I was left with no one, and I'd said no to everyone else. I'm usually pretty cool, calm, and collected, especially over email. Um, but unfortunately, this was an exception. <laughs> I fired off a pretty angry email about how this was not the way to do things and how disappointed I was that he'd acted in this way towards me and put these people in a difficult situation, and now I had no one. And I copied in my manager. And then he emailed me back something else, really ridiculously stupid. So I emailed him back again, and not only copied in my manager, but my manager's manager, um, just to make sure that everyone knew what was going on, how outrageous it was, and how wrong it was, and how right I was. And the thing was, I was right. And I knew that my managers would back me, and they did. But also, nothing could really be done at that point. They'd, gone, they'd kind of been counter-offered, and that was that. And it was gratifying for about 20 minutes. But after that... I did not feel good about what I'd done, about how I'd acted and how I'd communicated. Actually, I felt like I'd really let myself down. I'm not saying that we should be total doormats and I shouldn't have called him out on, you know, whatever had gone on. But the way I conducted myself was not in line with my identity as a citizen of heaven, as a daughter of the king, or in line with my kingdom values of patience, Forgiveness, gentleness, all of those were sorely lacking. But the thing is, it's really easy for us to feel like the culture where we are, whether that's in our workplace or even at home or wherever we are with our friends, that the culture is kind of put on us. And sometimes that's true. But very often... It's a bit of a paper kind of culture that we can just punch through, poke a finger through, and actually we can set the culture tone much higher. We should be the people who aren't just conforming to the culture around us, but creating that culture. If we can be people that set the culture, 
That is the work of the kingdom. It was interesting, actually, to me, because my boss's boss, um, who I ended up working with quite a bit towards the end of my time there, said to me months later, we were discussing it and having a bit of a giggle about it, um, about how it was a bit embarrassing. Um, and he was saying, do you know what? It surprised me when you did that, because it really was not really very expected. It wasn't really very like you. And I thought, phew. Because although I totally let myself down and I didn't represent the life of the kingdom well, I didn't represent myself as a, um, a Christian very well, thankfully, the rest of my um, kind of work record was decent enough that he could see that that was out of character. And that was a saving grace, really, for me anyway. But what we've got to do is not beat ourselves up when we get it wrong, but keep aiming higher and recognize the power that we've got to shape cultures. We're not just citizens of heaven as in, you know, their equal kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. No, the kingdom of heaven is the one that is eternal. The kingdom of heaven is the one that is going to last forever. It's above everything else. It's higher than everything else. So actually, we're making a good plan for the future when we live according to the kingdom. It might be costly in the short term, but it's definitely worth it in the long term. So back to Esther. She was in this kind of harem, working on her hairdos and uh, skincare regime, and getting herself ready. But she did it in her own way, because she was living out her values. But what I want to say particularly about this is that she was living out her values just quietly and in secret. She didn't make a big hoo-ha about it. She didn't say, no, I will not engage with anything. And in fact, I don't want to be in this weird competitive thing at all. Actually, she took the challenge, but when she was in there, she just did her thing. And that was so powerful, because later on, when we come to chapter 4, which we had read for us this morning, that was her moment to do something on the public stage, to do something much bigger. And actually, had she presented herself as Xerxes' ideal, totally submissive and totally, um, you know, do whatever he wants... It would have been much harder for her to take a stand later. But because she presented herself in an integrity kind of a way, she said, this is who I am. So if you want me to be queen, brilliant, I'll do it. But it can't have been such a big surprise later when Esther challenged Xerxes, because Xerxes already knew this girl is something a bit different. This girl is actually not who I thought I wanted, but actually I do think that she's the right one for me. When we live out our values in private, in secret, when you take that time to email someone and say thank you, when you take time at the beginning of the day to pray and to start your day with the Lord, no one sees that. And it can seem a bit insignificant in the grand scheme of things, and you think... No one notices, but we're training our hearts, we're training our lives, and actually, 
we're laying the foundation for something bigger. And for Esther, her reward for all that faithfulness in private, for all of that living right, was actually a bigger challenge than she ever could have imagined. And at the end of this chapter, she accepts the challenge and says, if I die, I die. She realizes this is a challenge that might end up with her dying. And loads of other people dying as well if Xerxes goes ahead with it. But she's conditioned her heart to be for the Lord. And she's lived out her values just quietly, just consistently. So that people know that when she speaks out, they need to listen They need to respect her, and actually, she's a person of integrity. So then we come to chapter four. Esther's big moment. It's a bit of a long and complicated story in chapters two and three, but basically, Xerxes writes a decree that he's going to kill in that huge kingdom every Jewish person. And that would have been a lot of people. A huge genocide. Esther does not want that to happen. But she's scared because she knows that the king has got the power to send her away, to kill her or just divorce her. And she'll lose that influence that she's got. She might even lose her life. But she listens to Mordecai's prophetic challenge. And Mordecai says, do you know what? If you say no, Esther, God will still save his people. Isn't that right? God has always got a plan for his people. But he says, don't underestimate your own role in this. And I want to say to you this morning, so often we say, don't take yourself too seriously. I want to say to you this morning, take yourself more seriously. Because who knows that you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows that actually your diligence over many years or months or weeks, however long you've known the Lord, has actually prepared you. And God is calling you to something that is going to be the defining moment, like it was for Esther. We can't fall back on the idea that God will find someone else. Because actually, if we believe that God is who he says he is, then we want to follow him wherever he's leading. And we understand, don't we, that whatever he says to us is going to be the best. It's going to be the best thing that we should be doing. Esther was ready to accept the consequences because she'd already started living that way. She knew, actually, when Mordecai said, maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. She knew that that was the truth. Just to finish up my story of my uh, angry emails, um, my boss's boss, who I ended up working with quite a bit, um, I never really told him that I was a Christian because we'd worked together either from a distance or for not very long. So the first time I really told him I was a Christian was when I told him that I was leaving to get ordained. (laughs) Drop that bomb. Um, And it was a bit of a weird moment, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't think he knew I was a Christian. And it's quite a weird thing anyway to say that you're going off to get ordained. Um, And... 
the only thing I can hope was that actually after he got over his shock of that's a weird thing to do, he could look back over the seven years that I've been at that company and thought, certainly not perfect, certainly a bit feisty, um, but someone who in general lived with integrity and managed the people in her teams well and had good relationships with people around the organisation. And sometimes we just don't really know, do we, when that moment is going to come when either we're kind of outed as a Christian or we're called to take a stand. But if we're called to do that, it's always going to be the best thing to do. So this morning, going back to the beginning, do you really know your identity? Because actually, out of our identity comes our values, and that means how we live. We live from our identity. And maybe this morning, you don't really know if you're a Christian. Maybe you definitely know that you're not. Or maybe you think, I probably am, but I certainly don't live as a citizen of heaven. This morning, you could start living with a totally different mindset. You could start living as a citizen of heaven, where the values of that kingdom are not getting ahead. They're not looking after number one, but their love and joy and peace and forgiveness and humility. Maybe this morning is a chance for you to start living from a different kingdom perspective. Not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of heaven. And maybe this morning, you need to recognize that God has called you to where you are for such a time as this. For Esther, it definitely wasn't an easy place to be called into. And chapter four is mostly her saying, please don't make me do it. I've definitely said that before. But God doesn't make us do it, but he does call us. And maybe you know what God is calling you to. And this morning, you could say yes to God. Yes to the call of God on your life. And recognize that actually the outcome is in God's hands. As Esther said, if I perish, I perish. The outcome is not for me to organize What God wants is my faithfulness, my obedience, and all of me. So why don't we stand, and I'm going to invite the band back up. We've got a little bit of time just to pray and bring ourselves before the Lord. Maybe you're someone a bit like me, and you actually feel like you've really messed up. Actually, for me, backtracking and sending loads more emails saying, sorry, I shouldn't really have said that and stuff, um, was going to be even worse. And ultimately, I did call up that manager and apologize, and we had a good chat on the phone. But maybe you feel like you've really messed up, and there's not really a way back. But God, this morning, says to you, there's a way through. There's always a bright future with God. Um, 
And if that's you this morning, if you feel like actually you've, le- you've left your values behind and you're just living as you want to be living, I'd love to pray with you and just speak God's words of forgiveness over you and also affirmation that he doesn't leave you on your own. When we do something that's wrong, he doesn't abandon us. He just wants us to come back and to keep going with him.